Exodus. Um, while you're kind of turning, I'll give a little bit of background information. For those that do not know me, my name is Jared. If you just started coming recently or back in August, you've probably only seen my face behind the tech booth. Uh, but I'm on staff here as what I like to call uh, assistant to the pastor. Uh, some people say associate pastor, yeah, whatever. Uh, but this just means that on occasion I get the privilege of coming up here and preach, teach on Sunday mornings. Uh, I also serve as a family group leader as Mr. Steve mentioned family groups are a big part of what we do here, so if you have not yet gotten plugged into a family group, I'd love to be able to help you do that. So as we continue looking through Exodus this morning, we're kind of at the halfway point. Uh, on our original sermon schedule, this was actually supposed to be our halfway point, uh, but we won't actually get there till January. So this serves as kind of like a middle in-between. And so if you haven't been with us all through Exodus, we actually have Exodus guides. You can pick those up on the book nook table to help you get caught up. We also have the new print. So you can go ahead and pick up the new stuff so that you can have those in your binder as well. And these will just help you keep up catch up, uh, ask some questions along the week just to get you prepared for Sundays. So, so far, we see in Exodus that God has led Israel uh, out of Egypt. He has led them through the plagues and through the crossing of the Red Sea. He has just demonstrated who He is and what He is doing for them. And so, as they're starting this 40-year journey through the wilderness, we start to see some of God's intentions of what He has for His people. This isn't just a really long hike that they're supposed to take, you know, just because, you know, the leaves are changing. It's so pretty. No, this is so that God can intentionally form His people uh, so that they can be who He wants them to be and who He designs them to be. And this is kind of the big point of this morning, that God provides better. And it isn't that He isn't just providing a walk. He isn't just providing bread, something to eat. He provides life and instruction to Israel as they cross through the desert. And more than that, He provides life and instruction for us through Christ who He has given. So I'm going to pray for us one more time, and then we're going to read through Exodus 16 this morning. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for letting us gather and learn more about You. And I just pray that You will speak to us, uh, that these won't just be my words, that they will be Your words, and that we will listen, and that we will obey and take command where You have told us to go. And I thank You for all that You have provided, and will continue to provide, Father. And I pray that we will and love everything that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a bit of a longer section this morning, so kind of as we read through, I'll give observations here and there just to kind of break it up a little bit better. Uh, but two things I want us to remember before we get into the text. One, uh, we are just as guilty as Israel. We are not supposed to look on Exodus 16 with shame and judgment, but we are to look at it and remember that we are just as much sinners as they are. Uh, the passage asks the question, where do we go in our grumbling? Do we whine and complain to our leaders, or do we take our questions to God and ask Him for things? Learn from the mistakes of Israel. And two, all of this was written as a reflection from Moses. So he wrote these many years down the line, and it's not like he's got Joshua off to the side just furiously writing down as things happen. These things happened before, and then he wrote of them many years later. So as we read this, uh, remember, the law has not yet been given. This is all a precursor to it. So as Exodus 16, verse 1. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. 
So like I've said, they've started their Exodus journey, and if we remember back to Exodus 13, we see that God has intentionally led them in this direction. They could have gone the shortcut. If you have a map in the back of your Bible, you can look at it. They could have gone the shortcut. It would have taken them past the Philistines, uh, and God has intentionally led them in this direction so that they can avoid war and avoid trouble and strife right away. So while this may seem like God is leading them the long way around and making it more difficult, he's actually giving them exactly what they need, exactly when they need it. Because this is the only direction Israel could have taken that would have led them to the promised land. So verse 2, and and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now this seems like it might be a trivial matter, the grumbling, the complaining. Uh, This is not like when you get in a car ride and you're getting tired and you want to get out and you're like, are we there yet? It's not like that. Uh, This is a very serious offense that Israel is taking to God. And this is line of thinking is kind of absurd, right? They remember the bread and the meat in Egypt, but what about the forced labor? What about the slavery? What about the time that Pharaoh took all the babies and threw them in the Nile to die? How quickly Israel has forgotten all of these things. And I'm sure that they really haven't forgotten how bad Egypt was. Uh, Merely, I think they have simply just gotten tired already on their journey. These seeds of doubt are already starting to come up. They're starting to doubt that what God has promised isn't that good, or maybe that God himself isn't that good, or maybe that he's leading them in the wrong direction. Whatever it was in this moment, uh, they would have rather given up all the good things that they had. They would have rather given up the presence with God, the, the promised land, just to go back to Egypt for full bellies and death. And I think this fits very closely with the definition of sin that we get from Romans 1. It should be on the screen right behind you. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, and animals, and creeping things. So Israel would have much rather given up the Creator, given up God the Almighty just for bread, just for something that they've already eaten, that's already passed, that's already spoiled. So remember, though Israel was not alone, remember that we are just as guilty as these things. Uh, Remember to learn from them. Let's keep going and see God's response to this. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that we grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. 
And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel, and say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So God's response to Israel and their grumbling and sin is to meet their needs, pun intended. Uh, God could have punished them. He could have struck them with the plagues like he did with Egypt uh, to show them this is why you should believe, this is why you should obey, this is why I command you things. Certainly that would have been a lot easier. Personally, that's something I probably would have done. But instead he chooses to feed them. He gives them manna, he gives them meat, he gives them what they have asked for, and he uses these things to reveal to them who he is, right? Remember, through the plagues, he made that intentional picture. He gives them the plagues so that they can see his power. But for Israel, this is completely different. He's giving them manna to reveal himself. And so we start to see this difference of God's response to his people. Uh, Both actions The idea was that they would believe that they would see who God was, but we see that for Israel, He is already providing better. He is providing so much more than they had in Egypt. But just imagine instead, if instead of grumbling, what God would have given them, what He would have provided for Israel if they had called to help instead of complaining, if they had said, God, we are hungry, provide for us bread and meat and water. He certainly would have provided exactly what they needed, and even more so. So let's keep going. Verse 13. So in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, everyone gathered much, had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. And morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. Now the manna that was provided for Israel also came with instructions. Remember, it was supposed to be a test to see whether they would be obedient and follow in the law that God had given them. And we see right away that when Israel follows God's commands, they have sweet bread. All the things that he has given them is sweet. It is good. It is tasty. Uh, But when they disobey, when they go against the things that God has told them to do, this is when the bread starts to rot. This is when things stink. This is when things grow sour. When we try to live by our own commands, this is when things go wrong, right? This is why we follow the commands of God. Verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there was no worms in it. And Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field." Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. 
On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place, and let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now we continue to see that what God is providing for Israel is better than what they could have provided for themselves. He knew exactly what they needed. They didn't want to rest on the seventh day. They wanted to go out and, you know, keep working, keep doing the things they needed. But God knew that they needed rest, even though that they didn't know it themselves. And really, He is providing something that they haven't had since before Egypt, since way back in the garden. Remember, uh, in the garden, Adam and Eve were with God. They had presence with God. In the wilderness, Israel has presence with God. He's showing up here in this passage, much less He is in the cloud. He is in the fire. In the garden, Adam and Eve were fed. Sure, they had to work. They had to name the animals, but this was light work. If we turn back to Genesis 3, we see that one of the consequences, one of the curses of the sin of man is that they would have to work for their food. Remember, it says, uh, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. But God has provided them with bread that is sweet and does not require for them to work for it. They simply had to go and pick it up. He's providing for them with rest that they did not have in Egypt, right? So with both the work and both the Sabbath, they they had this extra day of rest for them that was never provided in Egypt. Slaves don't get breaks seven days a week, every day. But look with me back at verse 4 and 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So even in this testing, he's providing them rest. He could have straight away provided, commanded them, build their tabernacle. Um, I want you to build me a giant monument out of bricks, just like Pharaoh did. But the first test that God actually puts in front of Israel is for them to literally do nothing. Imagine how a loving God gives this test. They could have not asked for an easier task. They could not have done something simpler. Uh, God knew that they needed to rest, and so this is why they were giving it. I think also the intentional choice of giving the Sabbath first as the law uh, before the rest of the law comes around shows the importance of keeping it holy to God. And we'll come up to this many, many times as we go through Exodus. I think it's like four or five times it's mentioned again. Uh, But this continues to be a big theme, that we must take the seventh day. We must dedicate it. We must rest and enjoy all that God has given us. So last few verses, verse 31. Now the house of Israel called its name manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness, when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. And the people of Israel ate the manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. An omer is a tenth part of an ephah. So two things. Uh, One, the word manna, the phrase itself, actually means what is it. 
Uh, the manna that was provided for them in the wilderness, this was something they'd never seen before. This was, could only be described as divine angel's bread. And later when we see in Hebrews, it's actually called the bread of heaven. It's called the bread that the angels ate. And so that this is something very big that they had to remember and something that they were supposed to keep on their minds. And this is the final commandment that we see they're given in this passage. Uh, the final commandment they are given is that they are to take a jar, a man, an omer, it's roughly about a mason jar, uh, and put it in the Ark of the Covenant. And this they did. And the reason for this is that God did not want them to forget the lessons that they had learned in the wilderness. Everything that they had provided for for 40 years as they walked through the desert, for 40 years the only food that they ate was what God provided. Imagine growing up and the only thing you ate until you were in your 40s was manna, the very thing that God provided. And this kind of instruction is the only kind of thing you can get from walking daily in the Lord, just as He commands them to do. And this type of dependence that they learned, this obedience, this listening to God and depending on Him for all their things, uh, this is such a big lesson that God wanted them to have. This is the very first thing He teaches them as they go through the wilderness. Moses would later remind them of the importance of this lesson that they should not forget it, right? So uh, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 through 6, right? This is right before Moses uh, not Moses, he doesn't get to go in, but this is right before Israel gets to go into the promised land. He's giving them their final instructions, the final things to remember and do as they are about to enter. And so this is what Moses had to say concerning the manna at the end of his life. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. So Moses understood that the purpose of the manna was not just so Israel could be fed. Yes, this was something important to God. It's kind of hard to deliver a people that you promised when they all starved to death. He was concerned with filling their bellies, filling their hunger, but he was more concerned with the spiritual formation that they were going to get from this lesson. Right? Think about the way that they were fed the manna. Uh, the rhythm of keeping the Sabbath rest worked in with this cycle of manna, only giving them enough manna for one day at a time to make sure that they were trusting that the next day when they woke up, there'd be more manna on the ground. It shows that he was so much more concerned for them. He had the bigger picture in their mind of what he could provide better for them than they knew. Sure, if God could have simply teleported them to the promised land or took them through some shortcut, they would have gotten to the land, they would have inherited it, they would have lived there, uh, but they would not have learned how to rely on God. They would not have uh, been hungry, they would have not been humbled, they would not have learned who God is, the provider of their daily bread. Certainly they would not have trusted Him to help them uh, 
conquer the rest of Canaan, conquer the promised land, and they would not have learned to rest on the Sabbath. They would be in a new place, and that would have been okay for them, but God would have been a stranger to them. And this characteristic of what God is showing them is very important to understand, and this was actually pointed out in our family group this week of what God has done for them along the way. If he had simply revealed himself to Israel and left him in Egypt to die, uh, he still would have been good. This still would have been sufficient for them. If God had only led them through uh, the Red Sea and gotten them to the desert and left them to find their own way, he would have been sufficient and he would have been good still. But what we see instead is that he rescues them. He gives them their salvation. He journeys with them. He guides them and instructs them. And then he also feeds them and disciplines them. So we see that God is providing step after step going above and beyond what we could have understood, anything that they could have had in Egypt. And the same way that God has perfectly provided for Israel in the wilderness journey, giving them everything they needed, he still provides for us through Christ. So turn with me to John chapter 6, verses 28 through 51. This is kind of a longer section Uh, But these are the words from Jesus concerning the manna. This is what Jesus thought about the manna and the things that were to come when asked about the wilderness story. And again, this should be behind us on the screen, so if you want to look there. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him. See, still grumbling, still complaining. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. And truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that no one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
So the manna that was given to Israel in the wilderness, it did sustain them. And it was good in instructing them in God's way and showing them how to be obedient in these things. But Jesus points out several things concerning the manna. Uh, Number one being that He was the one that was to come. He was the better manna. He was the one that was to overshadow them. Uh, So first He points out that those who believe will not perish. Those who eat the bread of life will not perish. Simply put, those that believe in Christ will not die. And and this is what he talks that he has come to do. He's come to die so that we may believe, so that we will not die. He took the punishment of our sin, that although we were the ones that were grumbling and complaining and doubting and not trusting God, he still came anyway and died the perfect life and provided eternal life for us, for those that believe in Christ. And this is the promise that we are given from Him. Number two, uh, that all will be taught by God. Again, the manna was good at this. It was good at instructing, but it was not. uh, It pales in comparison to being instructed personally uh, by God Himself. And this is what Jesus is pointing out here. If He's the one that knows the Father, and He's the one that instructs us and fills us with His Spirit, then we are to know more and more about God. And thirdly, he points this out to show that we will never be hungry again. He says, all that eat the true bread shall never hunger and shall never thirst. He satisfies us completely with his word and with himself. He has come to satisfy us. He has come to save us. He has come to teach us. And he has come to satisfy us. In all these ways, it is perfect and it is good that he has done this. And so, simply put, the application from all of this is to feast. If we believe uh, that we live by the Word of God, that we do not live by bread alone, that His Word is good, a nibble will not suffice in it. We must be completely fed on the Word of God. We must be fed completely by Jesus Himself, as Israel was done, as they were done for 40 years in the wilderness. And this is, again, this is only something that comes from walking hand in hand with Christ forever. And so, I ask for those that don't believe, come find one of us. We'd be more than happy to talk to you about who Jesus is and tell you. Some of us will be standing over there by the book nook table. But for those of us that do believe, as we enter this time of communion, just remember all that Christ has done, all that He has provided, and how He has provided better for us than we could provide for ourselves. And so, as we sit and reflect on all that He has done, I just want to leave us with a couple of questions. One, where do you go in your grumbling? And two, do you trust that God is still providing, and do you bring your prayer to Him? Are we like Israel? Do we grumble and complain instead of asking God for help, asking Him to continue providing for us like He has shown us that He will continue to do? So, let us pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word, and I thank You for how you have provided your son for us, how you have provided him to to teach us, to die for us, and to live so that we may live with you, Father, so that we may be perfectly satisfied with all that you have given us. And I thank you for these things, and I thank you for all that you have done. I pray that as we go this week that we will just remember the promises that you have made, that we will remember all that you have done, and that we will just be satisfied with all that you have given us, that we will bring our prayers and our our ask and our needs to you, Father, instead of being satisfied with 
what we think we need. And I pray that we will just seek out everything that you have taught us to desire and everything that we should want. I thank you again for your son and for his death and everything you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.